0: Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. We've partnered with Dataversity to provide listeners with 20% off your first training center purchase with promo code AlgmanDL. Go to dataleadershiptraining.com to learn more. Today, on Episode 79, we welcome Ahmed El-Samadisi. Ahmed is the founder and CEO of Narrator.ai, a data modeling platform that can answer any and all questions about data in just minutes. Ahmed was named a member of Forbes 30 Under 30 for 2021 and was previously the first member of the data team at WeWork. Ahmed, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Anthony, for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we're excited to have you. So why don't you just take a few minutes and give us kind of the story overview of your career and how your earlier experiences led up to doing what you do now?
1: Yeah, so I surprisingly started very, very core in the AI space. I worked on autonomous cars in 2010. So think about full self-driving cars 2010 when Mm -hmm. they had just came out of the Durban Urban Challenge. And then was really focusing on the aspect of actually human and robot interaction really focused on how humans and robots make decisions together to solve problems. Fast forward that to ended up working for on as an AI engineer for the US government at Raytheon doing missile defense, like on nuclear missiles and tracking discrimination, wow. on, like short, and long and range missiles. And then I had like a career <laughs> mental switch where I was like, I've been doing so much nuance in AI. I want to bring this to people in the world. And My actual way—most people don't know this story—but the way I actually wanted to bring AI to the world was, I was really into dancing, and I wanted to build like remote, like this suit that you can wear that can help you dance better. Like that would like electrocute you (laughs) to move your body so that you dance correctly, and it would would know what you were doing. (laughs) And yeah, I was like, this is gonna be great. I've been like watching all these YouTube dance videos. This will solve my problems. I don't know if my position is right, and. I end up going to WeWork uh, to like talk to the people there about like the exciting uh, world of dance videos. And um, what ends up happening is they're like, you've spent your whole career working as like a single individual contributor. Why don't you work for WeWork and like build a data team? Hmm. And I was like, uh, no, 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 no. I'm like a nuanced expert in AI. I don't want to build data systems. I want to like use them. So... Long story short, I ended up joining WeWork with this idea of, like, we're going to build smart buildings. Uh, And I had worked with WeWork in the past, so I had this, like, long history with WeWork in 2012. And then this is now 2015 when I joined them again. And uh, I'm like, they're like, you're going to have so much resources because WeWork is exploding and you're going to be able to build, like, make the buildings smart, do all this dope stuff. And I was like, hell yeah, excited. And I get into the world of data and I start learning about it. And like everything is a lot more complicated than it like than I remembered it to be. I was like, wow, when you're dealing with like a single system, like like I was, on missile defense systems, you don't have you have less computing power than on like your phone. And mm-hmm. I had like worked a lot with microcontrollers for autonomous cars. So like the first server I sped up, I spun up to like process data was like on a Raspberry Pi, and yeah. people were like, oh, what, where are you hosting it? And I was like, right here. This is it. <laughs> this is my device. This is a server. They're like. Why don't you like upload it to the cloud? And I was like, this is like $12 this works really well. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what are we possibly doing? So ended up diving into data and realizing that a lot of the questions, like as a person who comes from a background of like complex decisions, thousands of objects in space, like high uh, definition reasoning Mm -hmm. questions, like how many sales I have and how many people that came to our website called us were really hard. So I ended up building the data system for WeWork one time. And as people asked more questions, the data system reached its like limits. And I was like, aha, I'm gonna refactor and I'm gonna swap out some tools. And whether I was doing like, I swapped out a warehouse, I swapped out our transformation layer, whether it was initially Cron, then Luigi from Spotify, then Airflow, then built our own custom one, then used dbt. Uh, and then I used like, I bought all the BI tools. We tried like wave analytics And Chartio and Tableau and Looker. And I built the same system every like six months. I would be like, let's refactor system. And my team was 45 people. We had a lot of people trying Mm -hmm. to answer questions and yet still questions like how many people that came to our website called us would take like weeks and ended up starting a program called Data Cult which was really funny. It was like, okay, there's a problem here. Why does everything take so hard? You clearly don't know all the tables we have. You're not reading our data dictionaries. You're not seeing our cataloging. We've, sought, we've, we've built so many tables. We had like 12,000 tables in our warehouse and 900 in our transformation layer. I'm like, let's put it to test. So I took people to train them on how to use our tables and data and quickly realized that there's a fundamental problem in data, which is that why these questions Asking good questions is really hard, but the reason why nobody asks good questions is because answering good questions is fucking the worst. (laughs) It's like nearly impossible. Like you would, everyone, every time you ask a complex question, try to understand churn. You're like, oh, that's a month of work. And then you give it to them. And then there's a follow-up. Well, that's another month. And, um, that led me to leave. And I was like, I think I understand why this problem occurs. But I don't know a solution, and I ended up leaving to found Narrator to solve this specific problem. And three years later, we had a solution that
0: does it. Hmm. I have so many questions, <laughs> so many questions. um All right, so I, I, so coming from my background my experience i'm a data platform builder I, I i build a lot of these big uh systems that that people use so i can definitely feel your pain on the like we work side where the everything i always i always talk about like when we are when we are turning over uh turning over a rock right like you're you're picking up a rock that that analogy of like every leave no stone unturned right so we're going to turn over a stone and every time in the data space when we turn over a stone it's worse than we hoped it would be And also there's a hundred more stones and like, that's the life of building data platforms and trying to make sense of all of this. And so while I really want to ask questions about the, the um, AI enabled uh, dancing suit, because I could personally really use that. I think my, my kids would definitely donate their allowances to, to have me have that. Um, I'm going to just not, we're not going to talk about that because we only have so much time, but I want to understand like, I, I have to understand how 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 can you possibly have solved for this kind of massive complexity when I mean, you've seen it firsthand like this isn't it it, it, it gets me to this point around, you know, with AI, they talk about how uh, the very specific uh, functions and I forget the terminology for it. But when, when there's a specific um, uh, activity the. Programming or, or enabling the AI for that is very um, is, is much simpler than a than a, than a generalized AI which uh, makes things much more complex. And that was what I was thinking about as you were talking about some of the things like, like as, as much as, as missile guidance systems um, seem like they would be very difficult, I can imagine the variables involved there are only so many compared to people and their behaviors. Like when we start thinking about people and their behaviors, now it's gonna get exponentially more difficult. Yeah. So h- how, how do you reconcile all well, that and how does narrator.ai do, do what it does?
1: Great question, great question. So. There's two parts of data. And Mm -hmm. I think this is like something I say a lot. Everyone in the world thinks they have a data analytics problem. They're like, my dashboard can't let me slice this uh, by a specific thing I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Or I can't see this number, or why can't I do this? Oh, this takes too long to give me the answer. And like, why is my dashboarding slow? Why is my warehouse slow? These are all not data analytics problems. They're actually data engineering problems. And we're Mm -hmm. gonna talk about why this entire field of analytics engineers got created and why everything is actually an analytics engineering problem to be specific. Like actually it's not even data engineering, it's actually this analytics engineering problem that's the core of everything that cascades. Mm -hmm. And then there's data analytics solutions. So narrator, we'll talk about our innovation because we do a data engineering innovation, a fundamentally different way to doing data engineering uh, or data analytics engineering, whatever you want to call it. And then all the AI stuff is actually in the uh, evaluating. So as a person who studied human-robot interaction, figuring out what's a good question to ask is a human level task. No robot will do that. Anyone take Watson, we've used Watson, we've used Einstein, those things suck. Like no, I, anyone who's listening to it and ch- challenges me, like, try it. it. All these AI solutions that try to predict churn suck. The reason is there's too many factors, but. If you, as a person can come up with a really good question, having a machine, um, evaluate the data for you to check for significance, to do consistency checks, to understand trends, to understand behavior over time in a very specific limited scope, computers are really good at that. So that's kind of the separation and the um, robots, the, the computer's job is to provide you with a story that you can understand so that you take action. This whole thing is like, think about it as a tool. Don't think about it as a case. But Mm. putting that aside right now, the real innovation of narrator is this initial part. So why does data, like you said, right? So anyone who doesn't do data, it's like, I I love talking to them and talking to people who do data because things seem very different. Mm. So when you ask a person who's like, the question I'm gonna use here, because I think it's like the easiest one to understand, is oh what percent of our pe- every time somebody comes to our website what percent of them call us mm-hmm. And a non-data person will say easy like look at every single person see if they came to our site did they call us yeah. yes put a one no put a zero compute that number divide by summit divided by the count is the rate of people sure. and you're like great in the imaginary world where that's fucking possible and a data person goes, Oh my God. Okay. Website is in this system, which we have the data in the warehouse and with page views. Okay. I think page views gotta make number into sessions. Okay. Well now I have call data in Salesforce. Oh shit. My call data is on a phone number. So I gotta map the phone number to an email or my global identifier. I gotta map the cookie to an email. Now I have a same user. Okay. Well, how do I join a call to a web visit? Yeah. I don't know. There's no like, there's no magical web visit ID on every call. So then I'm like, okay, well, maybe the U10 parameters on the website, if I copy it over when they call and then Salesforce and the user tags them, and then you start creating this crazy process and you write thousands of lines. And then you build a table that has every website visit and it's like a billion lines long. And that's what you use to answer the question. Mm-hmm. So you look at me and you're like, yeah, I get that. Of course, that's what you do. While the stakeholder is like, why did I think you two weeks? And you're like, you have no fucking clue what I had to go through to get this question. And then they're like, okay, well, did those people submit a ticket? And you're like, did they submit a ticket before coming to a website? Or are you kidding me? That's another system and that identifier is different. Now I gotta tie, the, you think that these keys exist? So that entire thing, the reason why we built all these tables in the middle is because of that fundamental problem is that most questions that are interesting bridge systems. And every time you bridge a system, there's no foreign key. And you got to come up with a crazy world to do it now even harder if you're depending on tables and something depends on it there's so much code that goes into that that there's so many assumptions baked in Mm -hmm. so do you see that or at least like is at least the whole key thing here is the fundamental problem of in this world
0: oh oh absolutely this tracks so well this is yeah this is like therapy now so this is great (laughs) okay so
1: now what if i told you that this entire way that we've done this when you study the history of this uh, of why we do it this way like whenever something gets so complicated i'm always like this is the problem i left to solve i was like okay every time they asked me somebody would be like well how do i relate this and i'm like oh shit don't ask me that question like give it to the data team like we need to spend months on this like this is just so complicated and now we have this is we went through three questions and what we went to one question and a follow up and we're already in like this complexity you were like as every data engineer listening to this or every analytics engineer has anxiety right now. There's like PTSD oh, yeah. happening to all the listeners going, yeah, I've done that. And that's only one question and one follow up. Let's can't even wait for the second follow up. And then the, wait, how did they, how come this number doesn't match with this number and all these things? Mm-hmm. So at its core, this problem is, is a join problem. Joins don't exist. The reason why we get there when you study history is because of relational databases and how visualization tools work. You need a Y table to plot X mm-hmm. and Y and relational databases only work on joint keys. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, you change the relational database, sure. But the unfortunate reality is the world is all relational right now. There's no changing it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what if I was to tell you, let's do something a little bit different. So right now we're taking our the way that the person, the stakeholder is thinking about the problem. And they've simplified it in their head into this weird timeline. And we're like mapping our world into it. Like we're trying to ma- answer the question. What if there was an intermediary step where we mapped our world to a common understanding that the same stakeholder would have? We call this thing the activity schema. So what if instead of mapping the data, what if it was just started session, started session, called, called, started session, started session in a time series way? Then if you had a new way of relating data and a new unique way of joining data, I can literally do what the human being is thinking and pull it and just pull the call and then add that data for the call into the same table and now i have that Y table that i need to answer that question of course that's really tricky how do you do that mm-hmm. but the interesting thing is that one unique data model the reason why we call it the universal it's we call it the activity schema it's a universal model it turns out every business in the world can be modeled that way because everyone talks about it and it turns out every question in the world can be asked as a function of your entity that you care about, your user or customer or building or your pet, and ask about them doing these actions in time. So if I'm able to build a system in the warehouse that can take your data in SQL, map it to our structure, and then give you a new way to relate that data, it turns out that as a human being, you can easily do what we call invisible data prep. Instead of needing analytics engineers to write SQL and do thousands of lines, they can literally say, give me every session and give me in between those sessions, the first call the customer had. And now we have a y table that has the session data and the call data instantly available now that you can give it to an AI to then analyze and slice and dice and do that stuff for you. And that's kind of the world that we ended up creating. Hmm. It sounds easier than done because this takes us three years after building systems many times, but that's kind of the world. That's what we ended up building is this unique way to do the data. And it turns out it just works. And it makes a lot of the questions so simple. And if you've seen me in any podcast, I mean, uh, I don't do this on podcast, but if you ever come to any of my talks, I'm notoriously known as the ask me anything guy, because I'll stand on stage and I'll say, ask me any question and I will live take any question. Give me the question that took you the longest time. Give me a question that's the hardest for you and watch me answer it live on stage, like using narrator. And I think people then be like, wait, 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 And it turns out all complex questions are bridging systems. And when you do it in this time series way, it becomes so easy. And
0: that's what we did. I mean, it's amazing. And I would be lying if I said I actually understood what, how it actually is working. Because like, take me through it at even at a a simpler level, that problem that you introduced around how how many people that have visited our website are calling us, you know, how does that actually make that association when that linkage doesn't exist? So the linkage
1: does exist. It's, 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 it's in our human mind. So the linkage is always existing because uh-huh. it, like there is two parts here. One, assuming that we can stitch the identity together, which I'm not gonna dive into, but narrator spends a lot of in- energy in making sure that linking of user. But let's say you yeah, link that Yeah, that that's together.
0: what I would expect. Like that's the hard part to me, is that so, knowing which web session, which call lineup.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, so let's, there's two problems there. There's making sure that we can tie the same user across the different systems, which we'll talk about, that's called identity resolution, and uh-huh. two, lining it up. So okay. the lining it up actually, is this is the magic of it. It's gonna make a lot more sense for someone who's not in data, but, in, but for data. So think about it this way. What we're doing in SQL and compiling down is, let, let's say, let's zoom in on Ahmed. Ahmed had four sessions, one, two, three, four. Okay, Ahmed had one call. It happened to me that the one call, if you align them in time, is right here. So now I can say, this first session did not have a call. The second session, oh, look, based on time between the sessions, I see this call right here. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna bring it and bring it to, and create it at a Y table now. Mm-hmm. Now, this call, this session had no call, this session had no call. So now I have four rows for the four sessions, and the second session has a bunch of columns that have the call data in it. Mm-hmm. We call this way of relating the data, this one is one of the 11 relationships that's known as first in between. In between sessions give me the first time it's happened. And it turns out you can do first ever, last ever, first in between, last in between, first before, last before, and aggregate those things in before. So when you think about things in time happening, by using time and being able to squash, suppose you have to deal with like duplications and all that stuff, but forget that for a second. Mm -hmm. By using time, I can actually create that association. Mm-hmm. And it works because when you think about how you used to debug your data, you would select the customer and look at every table, select store, and then see how they line up and be like, okay, now I know what happened. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how we relate it. How we do our identity stitching is a little bit more cumbersome and way harder to explain via podcast. But <laughs> if you built an entire system around one table, like you should read about a little bit. We have a blog post on it. We have a docs on it that can explain in details how we stitch the identity. It is multi-user, multi-device recursive identity stitching that is like very elegantly done, um, so that you can kind of get really clean stitching of the user. So trust, trust that part or read about it and dive into it. Mm -hmm. But the second part is a real big innovation. It's this kind of temporal way of relating data. And it solves a lot of problems. You don't duplicate rows ever. You don't uh, drop rows ever. Your, whatever you're starting from always stays the same and you kind of grow as you add it on the right and it makes it super easy. And now. If there's a null, I just put one or zero, if it's a null timestamp. And now I can just, if I sum it, it's a total number of people called. If I average a one and zero, which is the same as summing divided by the count, I have the conversion rate per website, not per customer, but per website visit, which is the really hard part. Hmm. And it makes it, it just like makes it really easy. We can go through other questions. If you have like, what about this question that took me a month to do? I'll do it live. Like let's take questions and we can say like, that's just, and I'll just translate it into these concepts of activities and these relationships in between. And then that's it. And then w- you learn that translation after a couple of steps because it like you're just imagining that journey. And once you learn that translation, then it's instantly every question you have can just be instantly answered and all that data can be prepped.
0: That that's starting to make more sense to me because it sounds and you know, I'll oversimplify um to see if i'm I'm starting to understand this but like i get why the identity stitching is is difficult and we'll table that one totally get that that's because in my mind that's the hardest part but what i what i like about the way you're explaining this is understanding that time is crucially important in almost every human interaction of any kind i um i've been on a soapbox a lot recently around how our data catalogs are failing us because they actually handle time very poorly under most circumstance they they act like these data Assets or these data objects are static when they couldn't that couldn't be further from the truth. They're in constant motion. They're in constant change. And if we don't have a temporally aware data catalog, what we have is just a big mess. Like and, and, and its usefulness is is degraded because of it. But that's that's my soapbox that I've just been ranting about for for months now. Um, but I so so as I think about the way you're doing this, it, it sounded to me like you're you're taking some of the because yeah, as you pointed out, relational data basis, the relational structure of transactions that exist in the world around us is not going to change. That's how operational systems are gonna work. That's how you know transactions are gonna work. That's how web works. All of that is going to be what that is. But the way you've you've done it is you've kind of said, okay, well let's take the best of sql for where it can help us and, and relational databases where it can help us but then let's also bring in some good practices around some of the no constructs and the and the kind of search and retrieval aspects and you're you're putting it in a wide table that will have all these optional columns in there but it, it, it's in a structure that can lend itself to aggregation very well which is what relational databases do very well and and those kind of heavy calculations that will need that horsepower to drive the answers that people are looking for in analytics and, and dashboarding. And so that sounds to me like a viable path. Like that makes that makes sense to me. Did I, am, I, am I starting to understand yeah. that from a remedial level? You definitely are.
1: And I think you're combining pieces. And the thing about this thing is that this isn't unique. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's some definitely the relationships part is super unique, but this idea of taking your data and putting it into a single table that's mm-hmm. time-based is like CDPs have been doing that for a while. Like we're just the first one to do it inside your warehouse so that you can access all your data. Uh, the second thing is like, if you get into like, if you ever learned about Facebook, Facebook used to have a dim t- uh, customer, dim actions, they used to do the same concept of a long table. The problem with long tables, again, like you mentioned, right, querying those long tables and doing those time-based joins is really tricky. Mm-hmm. And there are some warehouses that are specifically designed to do that, but you don't want to have a warehouse just for that. So like to innovation is like, we stay inside your warehouse. We build this one table inside your warehouse that you can see. We do everything I talked about in SQL. Like a lot of people like to think about it as like, like super fancy pivots, like very nuanced, powerful pivots mm-hmm. that you're doing in this So you have this long table and long tables have a lot of other benefits, like in storage, super cheap to storage because they are tiny. We're talking about 10 columns is how big the activity schema is super fast warehouses can run through that table with partitions super quickly it's what they're built for super cheap to update instead of having to rebuild all the tables at once you just build one and you insert all the new data like super easy to debug you can just look at in time they have all these benefits of it and then you kind of let, let that table solve all those problems for you and the moment you have a question you pick what you need you kind of do that fancy pivot using narrator and then you have that table that you can then uh, on top of that, you can then aggregate plot, visualize, do everything you need. And it turns out because that table all happens in SQL. Now you have this pivoted Y table in SQL that you can do all this stuff, which your warehouse will just chunk through in milliseconds. So now you are dealing with this, like you kind of got the best of both worlds and you've created a mental model that works. And there's a lot of other benefits of having the same exact, like schema for every company. So what, 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 what why is it so cool? Well, first of all, it solves a lot of data engineering problems that you and I experience. But it's even better because we could take a couple of steps further. When you if you were to leave your company and start like if, you, if, if a data analyst went from company A to company B and they both use narrator, the onboarding time is zero. Like you already know, you just read the name of the activities, you, data cataloging. They don't, they don't need to exist anymore because everything is just an action and activity. and You can read it and understand it and you can always right click and see some example customer journeys to see how that happened. Data dictionaries you don't need because everything is just building blocks. Um, you can, you kind of have like an infinite metrics layer because you can pull in pieces from anywhere activity. You don't need to think about all these things. Data preparation doesn't need to exist because that little pivot is instant data preparation. Anomaly detection is super easy and it's built into narrator because it's one table so that you don't have to worry about it. We have the same set of schema analyses. Now, analyses, we have a library of analyses available, can be reused hmm. because Every company now has the same exact table structure and same assumptions and guarantees. And eventually more and more algorithms and and the whole world, like what this happened, if you study like the history of Salesforce, Salesforce did this for sales. Mm. Salesforce was like, oh, we're gonna standardize all sales data into like accounts, uh, leads, opportunities, and tasks. And then we're gonna build like a stack exchange in the world around it. And when they first came out, people were like, no, 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 no. My sales business is too complicated for you to explain (laughs) it in these simple objects. No, 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 no. And nowadays, we're all like, yeah, of course, I don't know what else, what would you have? Like, what, 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 what did you have outside of opportunities? Like, what, what did you do? And it turns out they did a lot of fucking things. Just like in data right now, we have a lot of tables. And then you move to a narrative world and you're like, wait. Yeah, yeah, everything is that just that one simple table. Shit. And I think that's the exciting part of why I really got really um, Exciting because the world changes with the narrator world because you get to get way more benefits and people can start sharing, reusing, leveraging. People can start talking about things using the same language. Like when you read a blog post and you see what Netflix did, you're like, great, but I want to implement it. Why don't you have one button? If you both had the same exact underlying activity schema, you both use narrator. One button, you can say, run that analysis on my data and Netflix can publish that analysis. And you can be like, done. I thought your blog was cool. I ran it on my data. Some of the assumptions that some of the things work, some of the things they wouldn't, dope. Like that's the world that you want to get to. And I think standardization creates that. And -hmm. that's all of the core assumption that every single data can be represented in a time series way, which it can be. And we can understand how that's possible not possible. We can go through hundreds of examples. And the fact that this way of relating data using uh, this temporal joins, what we call relationships, allows you to answer any question, which. I will say again proof to me by contradiction find me one question I can't answer and I've been doing this for a while and then throw my company in the garbage but like <laughs> you you won't be able to it's just like it it's not possible because for you to explain a question you have to describe it using English and English by mm-hmm. definition forces you to give me something about actions and time
0: so I have one I have one for you that I'd I'd love to understand how you would break it down, because I think this it's a relatively simple problem to understand, but a very difficult one to actually solve for under most circumstances. So say mm-hmm. I represent a, a casino company and we want to have our top 1000 customers come to some sort of celebration, gift celebration in and the end of the year. I hear there's there's Vegas casinos mm-hmm. that do this. And so what we want to know is who are our thousand best customers. And it's complicated because it's not a simple metric of who lost the most money in our casinos. It could also be who, played the most in our casinos it could be who risked the most but got lucky it could be who visited the most times but generally didn't gamble much but spent tons in the in the retail establishments or 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 at the restaurants or at the shows or or whatever so you think about it and like just a few variables can lead to a really big question of how do we whittle that down to thousand best customers
1: great 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 now the thing that i would do so there's two things here right so Mm -hmm. defining what is the best customer what best is I think that's a human problem, mm-hmm. but giving you, like right now, you said, give me every customer, give me how much money they've lost at, at, at that, until now, we can easily do it. It's called aggregate before, and you can look at it over time, right? Does, you can even go further. Like instead of thinking about it per year, like you can create the last per every year in the past, but let's just say for now, give me all customers currently. So anyone who's first time anyone has ever played a, entered a, create an account. So now I have now have a unique row per customer give me every alt aggregate all uh let's say you'll probably have like lost money or like replenished account whatever act, action represents the transaction sum up all that money uh give me you probably have an action called play the game because a customer plays the game so you say sum up total number of play games some of the average number uh the average time between the first and last game and give me the average how, how the like rate of gameplay So I can easily create those metrics right now, as I'm describing them. I'm literally using the words that I would click into a narrator. Mm. And now I have a table that has every customer and I have these different variables. Now I can decide, right? What I would do honestly in in this narrator, I would say, great. Now let me go for each one of them, create a separate tab and let's filter for the top hundred and let me see why that doesn't work. So then I would right click on that customer and let me see their journey and be like, okay, this customer looks like they're good, but I wouldn't consider them the best because they it took a big gap and they haven't played in a while. I'm like, interesting. Okay, give me the maximum time between actions and add that as a variable. Now, like this level of conversation that I'm having with you, we would, if, if, if we had this casino open and my computer was open now in Narrator, we would be having this conversation, but we would be seeing the data. So I'm like, okay, well, let's see that gap. Okay, well, now it's interesting. Let's grab these customers based on the combination of these three features that I find interesting Mm-hmm. and see if it does it and then we could dive in and we can slowly dive um so that's one way of like doing it which is like more of like the humans trying to pick which ones they want exploratory way mm-hmm. the other way is like the other question you can the other way of doing this thing so i what i want to show you here was the the magical narrator is preparing that data and how we can easily add those columns in this time series way mm-hmm. i have no idea what data looks like but i know what it, in a time series way i can answer and build that table and that works. And then we see this exploration as we're kind of like investigating and thinking and being like, oh, I, w- I want to know that and add, add it in. I want to know that, add it in, which is something that you cannot do with Data Tools right now at all. Mm-hmm. The second level that I would like to say is, what is your goal? So when a, where does the narrator's AI come in? Well, narrator's AI is really useful when you start having goals. So like when you say best player, what do you want? The player who comes back the most uh, the player who spends the most money, like what do you, as the end of day casino, usually you're optimizing for like average revenue per customer or LTV, or maybe returning customers. You say, I want to see a returning customer or like a weighted return based on the money you spent. Sure. And then what I would say, okay, well, let's figure out the factors that leads to that. Mm-hmm. Is it like number of times, number of times out of money? And Narrative is really good at taking that hypothesis and evaluating it for you. And then what you can do is say, let's see if that matters. And then you check if it matters and narrative will be like, okay, this matters. And here's a story in English, explain to you all the things that we are, how I would think about this problem. It's so good that if you read it, you would say that a human wrote it for you Mm -hmm. and you would then be like, okay, it turns out these are the four things that I discovered matters to maximize LTV. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're looking for, um, when you're looking for customers, when you're looking for top best customers, you look for customers who are showing those main things because it might be that like and then once you give them let's say you invite them over you can say how does inviting them over impact the likelihood to come back and you can start kind of recursively answering those questions and so on and so on and so on and i think that's the key thing is understanding the drivers that affects your business understanding the goal you're trying to have and then once you find the drivers find the people who are showing drivers because it might be that they have not spent a lot of money but they've only been there for two months but they've come back every three days and that might be really good And that's kind of the game that you're playing. But the idea is that once you come up with these things and you're testing them, you can see the people, look at their journey, and then create that list instantly. And that's how easy it is to answer this kind of complex question in like five minutes I should just did with you live.
0: (laughs) Well, and and what I like about this is that you answered it both from the perspective of Anthony, if you were running a casino, who doesn't know much about casinos. And like, because I think the actual question, like the real, the core of what they're going for is... By inviting these people to whatever event this is, I want to maximize my future revenue over some period of time, the next year or what have you. I want to invite the people that will lead to that increase in revenue, right, or in that increase in profit ultimately. And and so that the the point of it seems relatively straightforward. When Anthony approaches it, I really resonated with how you explained. Like we could go in and we could start by saying, "Hey, here's what we think may." help us understand what those people would look like and we can start looking at and digging into the to the data and understanding oh wait this probably isn't good oh we should add this in and we we're kind of like you know mixing in the kitchen We're, we're 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 cooking in the kitchen by feel and taste right we're trying to understand that But in reality, if a casino were actually asking you at narrator.ai to do this, this is a problem they've solved. They know what their math is to do that. This is not a new thing for them. They've figured it out, and they've probably done it over many years, and they've figured out, okay, this is what, as a company, we will use to predict future profitability in our customers. We want to plug this in. You explain kind of how you would do that, too, because if you know what that math looks like, you would be able to plug that in and, and then get to that point where the narrator could actually explain, which I I assume is where the name sort of comes from. Um, it, it explains what that math is in normal human words that somebody who's looking at it can can understand.
1: Yeah, um, exactly. And I, I think you're like I think you should look at narrator as more of like the like the superpower that the casino now has. Because like we don't do anything. We're not consulting. We're a software company. So we sell Mm -hmm. you, give you our software. The thing about it is like that level of questioning and hypothesis testing that the casino is either went through or or is going through now, they can do that with narrator really fast and then narrow it down and then figure those things out. And they can even ask like, Um, how has like attending a sponsored fancy event impacted likelihood to do whatever it is that you're trying to measure easily narrated. So that data comes back in and it's recursive and you're learning. And we talked about time, everything's changing in time. So as that gets better, that the impact should be growing and we should see that impact grow. All that stuff is kind of what the casino would be doing with narrator to answer those kind of iterative questions. The point is that that time between it like the casino, this is what we're talking about with uh, human robot attraction is that the casino owner is like has built his business because his intuition is so good. Like here's a joke that we used to have a lot in data science in like AI, which is like, if a, if a, if an AI tells you something that is counterintuitive, assume the data is (laughs) wrong. Like, like AI can never tell you something that's truly counterintuitive. It should Mm -hmm. quantify your intuition. So what I want to do is grab these like people who are like experts in the casinos, take their hypotheses, take their thoughts, and then instantly live give them those answers as their data person or them are using narrator to answer those questions. And then what you see them happening is they're like, oh, that makes sense. I forgot about this thing. Okay, let's add that. Oh, I forgot about this thing. Let's do this. And I think that's like the conversation you have with a computer that feels really well. And you have to be able to answer questions in minutes. Otherwise, if I'm waiting a month for my data team to go prepare me that data and give me a dashboard like, It just doesn't work that way. And I think that's when I I talk about when we started this whole conversation with why I, I, I think a lot about back to the human robot interaction is that humans intuitions are incredible. Their ability to come up with a follow up, their ability to understand why something's happening so damn good. But data gives them a line like I might think it's good, but I might not realize that it's like a little bit better or a fuck ton better. And that's the value of data. And that's what you want your data team to feel like. And right now, data doesn't feel that way. Data feels like I kind of have to come up with it. And then it goes into a black hole. And I get like a pretty plot at the end. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, sure, now you showed me like average spent by everyone in casino. And then the person's like, well, people who you're looking here, some people have been doing this for 10 years. And they spend a dollar every day. And somebody spent a million dollars yesterday. That person I want to capitalize on. And then they're like, okay, give me another month and I'll get back to you. And now you have average spent uh, divided by time. And they're like, okay, well, yeah, but what about like the fact that this person has played one game and lost all their money or played a hundred game? And they're like, give me a month. And then it loses <laughs> the intuition. And that's what makes narrator's experience so much better. And customers really end up like being like, wow, this is how, how data should feel.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- you, I think you did a very good job of pointing out a flaw in my own logic around like these, this hypothetical casino company where I said they have their, their algorithm. Their algorithm better keep changing because the world around them is changing and, and it feels so big and heavy and full of inertia that they're never going to want to change that, which I actually think happens a lot of the time with organizations that have honed something over many years. They're like, we're not changing this. You know how hard it is to change this? We're never going to change it. And, and that's going to make them less and less relevant as a business going forward if they don't start iterating further
1: oh 100 percent. one of the things that Narrator does that our customers will tell you is like the biggest thing that they love is every time you ask a question a narrator narrator re-ask that question for you every week oh wow cool and because it, it narrators because of the time series nature we're looking at everything in time so something that mattered can then no longer matter something that mattered can actually mm-hmm. flip because you're taking actions if nothing is changing and what the fuck are you doing in your business? Like, like you want it to no longer matter because you want to saturate your customer by maximizing it. Like this happens so often that we talk about like, uh, if you read the book, of Metrics, it talks a lot about that where like, as you start, mm-hmm. like everything eventually saturates. It's like, you can't run the same campaign for a hundred years. Like it's just not gonna work. Like you can't, yes, customers back then who used Blackberries might've been the biggest feature, like, but you can't just, now have all your apps on Blackberry, like no one knows what that is. So like understanding that the world is changing mm-hmm. and then like what ends up happening instead of you having to kind of remember that like you want that instant email to be like, hey, that, that decision you made based on that analysis, it's now different because that is, and that's you need to know this assumption has changed because your customer is changing who they mm-hmm. are, what they're doing, their behavior is all changing. And that's why we end up running every single question that you ask the narrator will rerun it for you and rethink through it every week for you automatically so that when those things change, you are aware. And that's the biggest thing that like a lot of you, when you deal with like younger data analysts or younger data scientists, they love like looking at things in time overall. And they're like, oh, this sticks out. And you're like, no, 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 no. Don't look at overall. Over time, this could have been good and now it doesn't matter. And this is kind of all the the things that make like A-B testing really weird. Like A-B testing is just a momentary snapshot. And I always draw this line where I show squiggles and I show squiggles and I'm like, are these two lines different? And you're like, no, they're just squiggling. And I'm like, well, if I zoom in on this one week, this one is like 10 times more than the other. And they're like, yeah, but that's like squiggle. And I'm like, well, you're running your A-B test in that week. And if you forget time, then you just see that big difference and you think it's important. But when you look at it and it might later on separate and now it's important that's why analysis needs to be constantly run that's why time is critical and that's why you need to kind of think about the world as that it's evolving and you're reacting
0: and and i, I normally would ask you like if if there's anything from your perspective in the work that you're doing with narrator.ai uh, that, that might be applicable to those that just aren't going to have a chance to use your software or purchase your software or, or, or what have you but i think you just talked about that i think the key here that anyone can do, whether, you know, I I'm, regardless of whether or not they can be your customer is is challenge those assumptions, test the analysis that you've been using on a frequent basis, because otherwise you could be doing something that is you're, you're intending to do good things with the work that you're doing, but it could actually be going astray. And, and you wouldn't know if you don't test that hypothesis more than just once and, and do it regularly.
1: Yeah though, like if I had to give like three things that I would say, that's one of them. It's a critical uh-huh. one. Remember time, like time is such an important thing that we often forget. And three, as a data leader, you actually train your org to not ask questions by making the time it takes to answer questions really long. Like you have a wealth of knowledge, like no AI. It's art as like I'm an AI expert here telling you, that no AI will do better than your, especially in behavioral, like than your hundreds of employees and people who built a business based on intuition, they're the ones who have things, allowing them to ask and answer questions really fast is going to make the biggest impact. Think about it. The largest companies we know today have operated on Excel sheets and intuition for a long time and they built monster companies and like there's no company that has built anything incredible with just AI running it. Like you, AI is a great tool. And you can say that like, yes, in this trained environment, AI might outperform in like image recognition than a person, but like, remember that's such a small part. So stop investing so much time and resources in AI. And start remembering that you have a wealth of great questions. Your data, people are experts in asking questions. And if you're able to unlock those questions and actually activate that intelligence, it's going to be critical. And I think the biggest factor is allowing those people to ask questions and follow-up questions really, really, really fast. Because, like, you need to do that. If I'm waiting a month, I'm going to forget my train of thoughts and, like, you wouldn't do it. Think about how incoherent you're, like... Essay would be if you wrote one line every month like that, and you couldn't, like, you, you would that essay would never get done and it would be terrible. Like, that's that would you wish on anyone? So, yeah, you need that time, you need it, and it needs to be like really smooth. So, doesn't matter what tool you use, figure out how to get achieve that goal. I'm biased, I think that narrator is the best way of doing it, but if you are currently waiting that long, then you're probably not using the right tools or you're not thinking about it differently. So, that's my recommendation those three things.
0: Ahmed, this has been an awesome conversation. And, and I, I definitely agree. You are passionate about this topic. And it's it's really informative and really interesting. And this, this whole conversation has just flown by. So uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for being on the show today. I, I really appreciate it.
1: No, thank you. I love it. I love that we were able to dive so far high, so far middle, like go in between. And it's one of those like experiences that I will not forget. So I appreciate you for creating such an incredible memorable experience for me and hopefully your audience.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And so what um, for, for folks that want to follow up with you, what's the best way for them to, to find you uh, following the show?
1: Yeah, so you can search for my name on LinkedIn. I'm active on that. I'm active on Twitter at AE4AI, uh, the number four. And if you're interested in like just... Talking through these problems or anything, I do add, allow people to ask me anything all the time. You can literally email me at ame.narrator.ai and I will honestly be there, show you narrator or um, give you a
0: guidance. Like, I'm here to help. That's awesome. Find oh, our website, so- check out
1: narrator.ai. We have a great blog. <laughs>
0: <laughs> definitely, definitely. And so, and, and thank you all out there for joining us today. As always, you'll find more information about our guests and and links in the show notes. We'll include all the stuff that that Ama just talked about. Go to dataleadershiplessons dot com to subscribe and check out past episodes and accelerate your journey with training at dataleadershiptraining dot com. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact.